Um, but it's good to see you. My name's Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Harbor City. And if you're new here or you haven't been around in a while, we've been in the space for about four weeks now. We're playing around um, with how it works. So that's why our band is up on stage today, which I think actually looks quite cool. And this whole amphitheater vibe we've got going is something we're quite enjoying. So we'll just see how this next while goes as they're working on the MPC and just fixing the roof there. But if you have been with us over the last while, or tracking with us, as Tom Logue would have said a few weeks ago, then you would know that we're in the book of Acts, and we've been working through that together as a church on Sundays. But I really do want to encourage you to be reading through Acts on your own. I think actually one of the key things for us in growing in our faith is to be spending time in the scriptures for ourselves. And I know you might be new to Christianity, you might be kind of looking through the ways of Jesus and deciding what you believe about all of this, but we do think one of the key ways to grow and engage with God is by going through His Word together, and that actually He speaks to us by His Spirit as we read through the Scriptures. So I really do want to encourage you to go through Acts. If you're comfortable, pray through the book, meditate on each line, each verse, each chapter, and we really do trust that God would speak to you and help you to grow. But I think one of the things I've enjoyed over the last while is we've kind of spent the last three weeks looking at more supernatural topics. So for some of you, that might be completely fresh and out of your comfort zone. For some of you, that's like right where the action is. That's the stuff you really enjoy. And over the last while, we've spoken about prophecy and hearing from God. We've spoken about Satan, demons, and the demonic. And last week, we spent time, Brendan preached so well, talking about healing. And I think one of the things I've loved seeing is almost a hunger for God growing in this church. And I think at that prophetic equip night that we had uh, on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago, I just walked around and I saw a number of members of this church, I think there were about 60 people here, just dotted all around this area, this hall just outside, even by the courts out there, just praying and seeking God, trying to hear His voice, trying to be with Him so that they could speak His words to someone else. And I chatted to a number of people who were here. They said that the people they prophesied over or shared with or prayed for seemed to say that those words were for them. And some of the stories I've had just seem to be so accurate as people have listened to God and made that time and stopped and God has used them to speak right into someone's situation or heart or life. And I really do trust that even this morning, the Spirit of God could speak to you where you're at. Whatever your need is, whatever's going on in your life, that He could meet with you and speak to you. And then I think last week, as we actually kind of moved around this room and we prayed for those who are sick or knew someone who was sick, I love just seeing the passion and intensity and desire in this church, that God would do something through us, that actually he could heal someone of something we can't do anything about by his power. So I want to encourage us to keep trusting God for more. And this morning, we're going to kind of carry on in that vein. I'm going to be speaking about the praying church today, the praying church. And if you've got any stories of God answering prayers or doing something incredible in your life, please share it with your life group, share it with me, email me, text me, tell me or one of the leaders on a Sunday. We want to celebrate what God is doing because God is always at work doing amazing things in our lives. So if you have been going through the book of Acts, you probably noticed that prayer is everywhere. I think Brendan said it so well last week. The book of Acts is a 30-year period in the story of the church, but it almost... It kind of works like an Instagram feed. You know, you've got all of these highlights going on over 30 years of all of the things God is doing in and through his church. And I thought if it was almost an Instagram story thing, every second or third or fourth post would be of someone praying. You know, someone either praying on the beach for someone or praying for the sick or praying for the city or praying for something because the church was filled with prayer. The early church or the church in Acts was a praying church. And I want to go through some of that quickly with you. Acts 1 verse 14, after Jesus ascends to heaven, what happens? The church gets together and prays and asks the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power. 
In Acts 1, Acts 6, and Acts 14, before leaders are put in place in the church, what happens? The church prays and asks when it comes to apostles, elders, or deacons, who should we have leading us? And then we see in each of those passages, they pray and lay hands on those leaders and set them into place to serve the church. In Acts 2, verse 42, the church devoted themselves to prayer. And in Acts 3, verse 1, Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. In Acts 4, after the apostles have been released from jail, they go and gather with the church and they pray. And they ask God to fill them with boldness to carry on doing the work that they've been doing. You can imagine everyone's a bit intimidated and scared after the church starts to get arrested for preaching about Jesus. So they gather in this place and say, Lord, would you fill us with boldness and courage to carry on your work? And the place where they're meeting is shaken by the power of God. And they're sent out filled with courage to keep on preaching and doing what God has called them to do. In Acts 6, the elders devote themselves to prayer and to the teaching of God's word. In Acts 9, Peter so boldly, this is something that terrifies me, he gets down on his hands and knees and he prays for a little girl who has died and asks God to raise her from the dead. And she's raised back to life. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his crew are in Philippi, a new city, and they go down to a riverside on the Sabbath day and they have a prayer meeting. And they start with the picnickers or whatever people are doing on the side of the river. They start sharing about Jesus with them. And a number of them become obedient to the faith. And this Philippi church starts out of that prayer meeting. In Acts 20, Paul meets with the Ephesian elders on this beach. And he says goodbye to them. So he doesn't think he's ever going to see them again. And they've got this kind of tear-filled prayer meeting as they say goodbye and pray God's blessing on all of the ministry endeavors they're about. And then in Acts 21, Paul meets with husbands, wives, and kids. And they also pray together on the beach. And celebrate Jesus. In Acts 27, Paul's a prisoner. He's on a ship with sailors and guards and other prisoners. And the ship is about to crash. There's about to be a little shipwreck going on. And Paul gets the whole boat together to pray and ask God to spare their lives. And in Acts 28, Paul is on the island of Malta. And the leader or the mayor of that island's father is sick with dysentery. Which is a bit gross. I won't go into any detail there. He's also got a fever. And Paul prays for him. And he's miraculously healed. And all of the sick people of the island come to Paul that they might be prayed for. And he's able to share about Jesus with them. Those are just a few snapshots of prayer in the book of Acts. Because the church of Jesus is called to be a praying church. And when we pray, God does amazing things. And I don't know what your prayer life is like this morning. You know, some of you might be here and you don't pray. You don't believe in prayer. You're checking out this thing. Maybe even the fact that we're talking about prayer today is less than ideal for you. And I know some of you, on the other hand, are like rearing prayer warriors, you know. You just get up at 3 a.m., you're praying every day, like the prayer's your vibe. But I think for a lot of us, we know what I'm talking about. You know, going through the book of Acts, you know that God responds to prayer and power. You know that prayer is how we build a relationship with God. You know that actually in times of need, in times of decision-making, in times of uncertainty, what should I do? Going to God for wisdom is the best thing to do in prayer. And I think we know that actually if we want to see the world around us change, situations change, lives changed, we've got to go to God in prayer and ask Him to do something in the situations we face. So in a sense, this morning's message around prayer isn't a guilt trip, pray more church, we've got to be a praying church. Really, it's, it's not even saying, why do we pray? I think as we go through the book of Acts, it's almost a question mark of why don't we pray more? Seeing God doing all of these incredible things, seeing the power of God released through a praying church, why do we not make more time to pray when we know that prayer is such a powerful thing? So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 12? We're going to read the first 16 verses together, and we're going to look at this idea of why don't we pray more, and what does a praying church look like? 
and I'm hoping you're going to be encouraged as we go through it. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This is one of the apostles. This is one of the leaders of the church. It's like Brendan being beheaded one week. We've got to come back with the bad news that weekend. Brendan was beheaded this week. We love our brother. We're going to miss him. And more than that, it says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, the people are happy that Brendan's been beheaded. You're a good guy, dude. We would hate to lose you like that. It would be a horrible moment. But when they see he's been beheaded, they proceeded to arrest Peter also. You can imagine Peter's fear. He knows what's just happened. James has just been beheaded. Other people have been arrested. You can imagine the fear of the church. Peter is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's been arrested. One of the others has just been beheaded. What is the future of the church? Is this Jesus movement going to die down quickly? There's uncertainty. There's fear. There's insecurity going around. And poor Peter waiting in jail. He knows that he is going to be dying soon. The church knows that they're about to lose Peter very soon. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. This is a time when the people of God were celebrating God setting the captives free from Egypt to go into Israel. So in that time when the Egyptians faced violent opposition at the hands of this king, the Christian people are facing violent opposition at the hands of this king. Kind of an ironic moment. And you'll see there's a lot of irony in this passage. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. He was an important prisoner, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And the implication is to behead him or execute him for all to see. And one of the things we see as we read through the book of Acts, that again and again and again, the apostles in the early church are persecuted. And I I just want to let you know this. If you are a Christian in this room today, that Jesus says in John 15 verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Like there's a lot of laying down our lives and dying to self and picking up our cross to follow Jesus. But part of what it means to be one of his disciples is to enter into a life of persecution and at times opposition or suffering. And maybe this weekend it's uh, something that we're all aware of. I know this isn't a church that has been attacked But on Friday, we know that in New Zealand, two mosques were attacked and 50 people as of this morning lost their lives. So this morning, as I speak about the church undergoing opposition, I'm in no way saying that it is only Christians who are persecuted for our faith. I don't want to let that out at all. There is all sorts of religious persecution going on all around the world. But I do also want you to know in the beautiful city that we live in, that followers of Jesus are promised that there will be tough times, there will be suffering, there will be opposition because we choose to follow and preach the name of Jesus. I did some research. It seems like globally, all around the world, every single day, 11 Christians are killed because of their faith. That's not just lose their lives, they die. No, they're killed specifically because of their faith. Which means every year, over 4,000 Christians are killed because they put their faith in the name of Jesus. It's a huge number. The three most hostile countries on the earth to be a Christian are North Korea, Afghanistan, and Somalia. So I don't know what the future is in Durban or South Africa. Probably many of us will not face violent opposition in this country. We may never be jailed or imprisoned for our faith. But I know that many of you have been persecuted or opposed or mocked because of what you believe. I know some of you in this room have told me that you've been challenged by friends or family or people that you live around because You've put your faith in a white man's God, even though Jesus is not white. 
and that Christianity comes out of the Middle East, not Europe. And I also know that many of you have maybe been challenged or mocked or made fun of because you believe in the teachings that are 2,000 years old of Jesus and his way. Teachings that today seem old-fashioned or out of date or out of touch. Jesus' teachings around sexuality, some of Jesus' moral and ethical teachings, some of the things Jesus calls us to do and to live out seem very out of date to people outside of the church. But the reality is many of us in this room and many Christians around the world have tried living out many different worldviews in many different ways. And when we have met Jesus, when we have listened to and started to apply his teachings to our lives, we found that his promise of fullness of life is true. Actually, human flourishing is found most fully in the way of Jesus and in no other way. For the early church and for the apostles, they were willing to suffer and die. Listen, I'm not saying they were putting their hands up and they wanted it, but they were willing to suffer to be imprisoned and even to die for the sake of Jesus because they knew that he was more worthy, more beautiful, more glorious, more powerful than anything else and that he had become their everything. So whatever it meant to follow him, they said, we, we will serve you, we will follow, we will go where you go. And in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That word earnest means passionate, zealous, ongoing, 24-7, heartfelt prayer was being made by the church for Peter. And we're going to see over the next while what God does in response to those prayers. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter is about to be released from prison so that he can be killed in front of the people. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding him in the prison. He had no hope of being released at all. Peter's life was over. And behold... An angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. I don't know why the angel can't tap him on the shoulder, but the angel strikes him on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. I just look at that. I just think, how is the power of God? The chains just fell from his hands. I would love to almost be able to watch like the surveillance footage of what was going on in that moment and just see this going on because you can imagine almost the, the police people the next day just going, how did this happen, you know? But I want you to know if you are in chains today, not physical chains, but emotional or spiritual chains, chains of sin, chains of your past, chains of bondage or bitterness or unforgiveness, that in a moment like this, God can set you free. God is powerful to set us free from the chains and the bondage that hold us back and keep us in prison to the old way of life, to free us into a new way inside of Jesus. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. This is maybe my favorite part of this passage. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter legitimately thinks he's dreaming. Maybe God is showing him something, but he does not think this is real at all. He's just going with the flow. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. Iron gates don't just open of their own accord. I don't know why the sentries and the guards haven't seen them. I don't know how Peter is going through all of this, but God has done something very supernatural and very incredible in this moment. And Peter is out of his cell, he's past the guards, he's out of his chains, he's through the prison, and now he's out on the street. And they went out and went along one street, and 
Immediately the angel left him. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself. I love this moment. Peter's in the streets, and the angel's gone, and he's kind of waking up still. He's rubbing sleep out of his eyes, and he's checking, is this a dream, or is this real? He's like slapping his face to just check. He's pinching his cheek to feel the pain. Am I awake? Is this real? Or is this just a very, very vivid dream that's going on? You can imagine he goes one road back, and he checks, and he sees, that is the prison there. I am out. I can feel the cold tonight. This seems like it's a legitimate thing. I want you to see Peter has absolutely no role to play in this. This was all the angel. Peter literally just went with the flow, and he finds himself free. And he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. For all of us in this room, the picture of Peter's freedom is really a picture of salvation for all of us. What happens in the scene is Peter was a dead man walking. He was on death row. He was in prison. He was awaiting his execution. It was probably going to happen the very next day. He's waiting to die. He's in chains. He's got guards all around him. He's in a cell. He's in a prison. He's not a free man. And there is nothing that he can do to get free from his situation at all. His game is over. And we see in Acts 12, as Peter spends his last night sleeping, which is kind of amazing, he's at peace in all of this. He knows God has got this, whether he dies or whether he lives. While Peter is sleeping, God does everything. Peter doesn't lift a finger. Even the angel has to slap him around a little bit to get him out of that cell, you know. God does absolutely everything to set him free and give him a new life because Peter was helpless on his own. And that's exactly the same with us. If you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Jesus, this was true of you. Once you were a dead man walking, once you were in the slavery of your sin, you were imprisoned in your sin, and you were waiting to die, you were guilty before God, and the Bible says the wages of sin was death. And there was absolutely nothing you could do to get free from your situation. No matter what you tried, you were in those chains, you were in that cell, the sentence had been passed, guilty as charged. But God came, and he set you free from those chains. And took you out of that prison. And not only did he forgive you from his sins, from your sins, but he freed you and I so that we could live in a new life in Jesus. And more than just setting us free, because that would have been unjust, what God does is this exchange of Jesus' life for ours. So Jesus went into the cell, he was put into those chains, he sat in between those guards, and he waited. And the next day he went out to the cross and he was crucified in your place. He took your sins and mine on himself and he died so that we could be free and we could live a new life. It's what God did for Peter and it's what he did for those of us who are in Christ today. And if you are not, he can do it for you even this morning. Jesus sets Peter free. And in verse 12, we read this. When he realized this, Peter's a bit of a slow learner, but he's starting to get it. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate. She just gets way too excited for anything. She can't, like, focus. She ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him. And we're amazed. When we talk about the praying church, I think this gives us an idea of what it looks like. 
The praying church is devoted in prayer. It is expectant in prayer and it's amazed in prayer. Acts 12 verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest, fervent, unceasing, passionate, zealous, 24-7 prayer for him was made to God by the church. And this idea of the self-devotion of the church to prayer is a huge idea in the book of Acts, but throughout the scriptures. The church is a church committed to prayer. It's the lifeblood of the church. And I know for some of us, we actually don't value it. And almost this morning, as I speak about this, you're like, yeah, Grant, we know you're the pastor. You've got to tell us to pray. Well done. You've done your job. But we actually don't think prayer is worth our time. Some of us think, you know, I've got more important things to do. Life is busy. I'd rather get something done. I don't want to tick this prayer box. Let me rather get things done, Grant. And I just, I thought of this picture of Santa Claus and the Christmas lists, because I think it's true for some of us. You know, I remember being a child because I still think of myself as young. And I remember going and like writing. My mom teased me the other day because I would literally write the serial number of the specific Lego I wanted next to the name on the list. So she knew, this is where you go. You can check just there on the shelf. And I'd write this list, Dear Santa, these are the things I would like, please. And then I'd put it in the envelope. And I know some of you did this too. You write, Dear Santa or Mr. and Mrs. Claus, I don't know what the kids are doing these days. You send it off one candy cane lane, North Pole or wherever it is that Santa lives. And he gets this letter and he brings the presents, or so I thought as a kid. But really what would happen is when that envelope was sealed, mom and dad took it, they had to open it up, they had to look at this list, and they had to go and do Christmas shopping. Then they had to wrap all the presents and write the cards, and then on Christmas morning, who got the credit? Not mom and dad, it was all Santa. And I think some of us, when we hear about prayer, or we think about prayer, we think of a picture like that, you know? It's like, cool, Grant, you talk about prayer all you want, you do your prayer meetings or whatever it is, but someone's got to go out there and do the work of ministry. Someone has got to go out there and do the church stuff. Like Jesus continued, you know you're talking about this. We've got to go and do that because we've got a misunderstanding of what prayer is. And in the book of Acts, there is a lot of doing. There's preaching and serving and giving and sacrificing and kingdom advancing. And someone like James has just sacrificed his life for the sake of the kingdom of God to advance. There's a lot of doing that goes on. But like we've seen already, there is a lot of praying because prayer is really, really important. And I'd hate you to leave here today thinking that prayer is passive. Like prayer is like the kind of lame, apathetic thing that Christians do to not feel bad about doing anything else. What we see in Acts 12 and what we see in the book of Acts is that prayer is active. The prayer is passionate. The prayer is the church on the offense. The prayer is work. And this is what we see here in Acts chapter 12. When there is this spiritual opposition that rises up against the church at this time, what does the church do? The church goes and prays because prayer is war. Because prayer is the church on the offense. Because prayer is us fighting on our knees to see the kingdom of God advance and the work of God done. Prayer is not Christian apathy. Prayer is Christian uh, active work. One writer said in Acts 12 that prayer is an act of holy defiance against the spiritual opposition they're facing. Holy defiance. That is what prayer is. And the church is called to be a people of prayer. I wanted to read you some quotes by some of the greatest Christian teachers of all time. Martin Luther says, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. J.C. Ryle said, Prayer is the very life breath of true Christianity. Ian Bounds says, God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be. I want to read that one again. God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be. And Karl Barth says, to clasp the hands in prayer 
is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is active, important work. And there are some things in our world and in our lives that will not happen until we pray about them. And there are some things that will never happen because we have not prayed for them. Prayer is active work of the church to see the world around us transformed. And we want to be a praying church. So I want to give us a few next steps, how we can walk into this and live into this. And firstly would be personal prayer. I know some of us are big 1 Thessalonians 5.17 fans. Pray without ceasing. I think it's an amazing passage. I know some of us are like, well, I pray in the car, I pray in the shower, I pray when I've got gaps in the day. And I want to encourage you, keep doing that. Pray as much as you can everywhere you are for little and big things all of the time. Pray as you go into a meeting, in a meeting, after a meeting. Let's pray as much as we can. But on top of that, I really want to encourage us to get some set-aside, devoted, focused, quiet time to pray. Some silence and solitude space where we can be with God away from distractions, not just fitting it in where there are gaps, but actually this is God's time. This is time we've made specifically for Him, where we can seek His will and speak to Him and pray for ourselves and our families and the church and for what God is wanting to do through Harbor City and for our city and for our world and what is going on in Christchurch and the many needs that our world has. And then also to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. At the start of the day, ideally, to say, God, would you fill me and would you be with me? And what is it that you want from me? And then to go into our day from this place of prayer, filled with God's presence and power to represent him to the world that we live in. Secondly, it's not personal prayer, but pre-service prayer. We pray before every one of these Sunday gatherings at 20 past nine. And I'd love to encourage you to come. Why don't you come and pray for us? We don't just pray for this meeting, but we pray for this meeting. And we listen to what the Spirit of God is saying for meetings like this. And we pray for other churches and places and cities and things that are going on in the world. And lastly, we pray together as a church once a month on a Thursday evening. So we'd love you to join us on the 28th of March. From 6 to 7, we pray on Esther Roberts Road, 394, just above Park and the Glenwood Bakery, for those who know it. love you to come and pray with us as a church for the things that God is putting on our heart to pray. Because prayer is not passive. Prayer is the work of the church, partnering with God to see his purposes fulfilled in our world. But what is so funny, as much as that is true, is in Acts 12, we see that we can be a church that are good Christians, diligently praying and praying the things that we should be praying, but at the same time, we've got absolutely no expectation or faith that God would do anything at all. Acts 12, verse 12 to 15. When Peter realized this, He went to the house of Mary where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate. I really love Rhoda in this story. If you were at our feast night on Friday evening, it was very cool um, chatting to Ellen and Tapu as they came in. One of their friends' names was Rhoda. And I thought to myself, I've been reading Acts 12 today. I know Rhoda. So I said to her, do you know the story of Acts 12 and this person? She said, yes. I said, oh, you named after her? She said, yes. But how beautiful is that? Rhoda's name means Rose. And she is this incredible character because of her passion and faith. And when Peter knocks on the door and she opens this door, Rhoda gets so excited. 
You can imagine, she's left this prayer meeting where people are praying that Peter would be freed from prison and that he wouldn't be executed. She goes to the door thinking, I don't know, it's one of you just coming in to join the prayer meeting. She knocks, opens the door, hears Peter's voice, recognizes Peter's face, and she can't believe it. Her heart starts beating, she gets excited, she can't think straight because she realizes she's in the middle of a miracle. And she's about to open what she wants to tell everyone and she's super thrown. So she runs back into the prayer meeting to share this testimony of what God has so powerfully done. And she gets in there and tells them and they pop her bubble. This is what happens next. Verse 14, in her joy, she did not open the gates, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gates. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. Really faithful church, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. Underline kept. She kept and they kept saying, it is his angel. I don't know what's up with that at all. But there's this irony going on in this passage that this is exactly what the church is praying for. For Peter to be released. For Peter to be set free and his life to be spared. And God does it. And the testimony comes in. Peter is free. He's at the door. And they're like, Rhoda, stop wasting our time. We're doing very important prayer work here. Don't come with your nonsense. Of course it's not, Peter. That's ridiculous. We've got to carry on praying. It's like whoever's running that meeting, one of the apostles or whatever, it's like, guys, come, let's put our backs into this. Another big prayer push. Let's pray for Peter to be released. And Rhoda just goes, guys, I'm, he's there. He's at the door. And rather than saying, like, like, let's send someone to let him in, they start to theologize and theorize about this, you know? What do you mean he's there? No, I saw him. I heard him. It's probably his angel. What does that even mean? You know, like his guardian angels appeared looking like him and sounding like him. And they insist on this. They keep saying, it's his angel. It can't be Peter. And imagine Rhoda getting very fraught, angry with him. Like, come on, guys, let's go and let him in. So finally, we see what happens next. But I want to ask you the question, if you've ever done that. Because this church is praying so passionately so fervently for this to happen. And they have absolutely no expectation or faith that God could really do it. And I've done that. I don't know if you have. You've been doing the good Christian thing. There's a need. Okay, I'm going to raise up my brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to start praying for them. But you don't really believe that God could do anything. You don't have any kind of expectation or faith. You're just going through the motions and praying that prayer. And that's exactly what we see happening here. You know, It's kind of like a lottery ticket prayer. You know when like the, the jackpot gets really, really high and you go, okay, you know what, I'll spend 20 bucks just in case. I'm just going to buy a ticket. If I win, that would be great. I know I'm not really going to win, but let's just throw like some money in the ring just in case. Or you walk past a wishing well and you throw like a coin in and you go, it'd be really nice if this happened. You, you know, it's not going to, but on the off chance. I think some of us pray those kinds of prayers. We don't pray with faith or expectation. And in a sense, we start to live almost like Christian atheists. Now, God, we believe in you, but we don't really believe that you could do this stuff. Like, we know you did that stuff in the Bible, but like, you're not going to do it in this situation, or you're not going to do it today. We don't really believe you do that anymore. And we have this wrestle inside between what we believe and should believe and what we really believe and expect. And I was thinking about these people in Acts 12. I reckon they're praying some top-drawer, world-class, gold medal, incredibly articulate, passionate, show-stopping, mic-dropping prayers. They're praying really, really well. I reckon, like, rather than me preaching on prayer or anyone else or reading a prayer book, if you sat in that room in Acts 12 and you listened to some of their prayers, you would be like, I don't know, wow, so you'd be like, this is incredible, I want to pray. But the reality is, despite their prayer expertise or skill, 
there was no faith. And you might learn about how to pray externally, but you wouldn't learn anything about the internal spiritual expectation of faith. Have you ever prayed like that? I think I've shared this story a few times, but I feel like it's just been so real and fresh for me that on the 25th of December last year, I heard the story about Kiara and Jackie Mungavin's car accident. And I just thought to myself, this is so terrible, you know. If you know the story at all, you might know that it was Christmas Day, the 25th of December. It was also Kiara's father Richard's 40th birthday. And I think that day so many people thought she was going to die. And I just thought to myself, imagine if that is your story for the rest of your life, you know. Christmas, the day we celebrate Jesus' birth, Richard's birthday, is also the day they will forever mourn their little girl dying. And I remember hearing about this and hearing about the damage of what had been done to this little girl. Her brain had been severely damaged. The doctors were really not hopeful at all. And doing the Christian thing, doing the dutiful thing and praying and hoping and wanting her to survive. But I think if I'm honest, I thought she had no chance. You know, I did not believe God was going to do the miracle. I didn't believe God was going to save her. I thought her life was over. I thought this was going to be a very dark time for that church. And I remember praying because I was like following social media and like keeping up to date with what was going on and praying the prayer that the man prays to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief because I believe in what God can do. I know his character. I know the stories of scripture and of many of you in this, of you in this room, but I didn't believe God was going to save her at all. And I prayed more because I knew God, who God was than because of what I believed God could do. And I think like looking back now, reading Acts 12 and knowing how that story has resolved. This last week on Instagram, there was this beautiful video of Kiara doing cartwheels because she's come through this. She's recovered so quickly. Her head has, uh, she's had her operation. Her Part of her skull has been put back in her head. That went so well. She was released from hospital faster than they thought she should have. She's just playing with her brothers and sisters and her parents at home now. And I'm amazed at what God has done. This girl should have been dead two and a half months ago. And there she is with a completely new life that has been given to her. And I think going through this passage, I thought to myself, I am the Acts 12 church, you know, praying prayers for the things that we want to happen, but not with faith or expectation that God's going to do them. And then seeing the evidence, spending time with this little girl, seeing on Instagram what God has done, being absolutely blown away at the power of God to change a situation supernaturally and permanently. It's so easy for us to pray without faith and expectation. But I'm so grateful that God in His grace will respond to imperfect, flawed, ordinary, faithless prayers from time to time. Acts 12 verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Now we don't have any idea how long they prayed for. We don't know how long Peter was knocking for. And this debate about angels and who was really at the door was going on. But God does answer prayer. He answers imperfect, ordinary, flawed prayers of people like you and I, and he still does miracles today, like with Peter and like with Kiara. And I was thinking to myself, for those of you who've been through the Alpha course, in one of those videos that we just went through on prayer, there's this quote by William Temple, who says, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't pray, they don't. And I just thought for many of us in this room, that's our story. When we pray, there's these amazing coincidences that happen. When we don't, they don't. And I've been trying to catch myself more and more, actually noting the prayers that God has answered. 
Because this is my story. I don't know what yours is. Sometimes there's a need in my life, a desperate need. So I'm desperately praying and crying out to God to meet this need, to change the situation, to come through for whatever it is. And then he does and the pressure's off. (laughs) You know, it's like that desperate need all of a sudden just deflates back to normal, just carry on with life. Sometimes I don't even stop to acknowledge that God has answered that prayer and he has done it. And just to be amazed for a moment. God is a prayer answering, wonder working God. I've been trying to Keep notes a little bit better on Evernote and in journals in terms of the answered prayers that God has been bringing about, these coincidences that are happening more and more regularly because I'm praying more and more for them. And I would love to encourage us as a church to try and do that, to pray, to expect. But when God does it, to stand amazed at what he has done and to share the testimonies and stories. Share them with your life group. Text people. Please tell me. We'd love to celebrate those things on Sunday because God is constantly at work around us answering prayer and changing situations and lives and doing things by his power. I think for us, Harbour City, we are called to be a praying church. We're called to be an expectant church. I think even as we leave here today and we go into this week, the charge on us from the book of Acts and from Jesus is that we would go out and partner with God in prayer to expect him to renew the world around us. Ian bounds again. God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be. Can I ask you guys to stand with me? What I thought to myself is we're going to respond in worship in just a second. But I know there's needs in this room today. And I just thought it would be so incredible if you need prayer for something. I'd love to call you to come forward and I'd love to ask just some of the leaders of Harbour City if you'd be open to coming and praying for people and just speaking to them. But there's no shame, no embarrassment. Can we just be vulnerable and open for a sec? If you need prayer, can you come forward while the rest of us are worshipping? We'd love to pray for you and trust God to do something incredible. Let me pray as some of you come forward. Father, I thank you for your power and your faithfulness and your love and your grace. And what I ask you today, Lord, is that you would almost raise the faith in us as a church, that you would grow us to be a praying people, Lord. And I pray that you would hear our prayers and do incredible things in response. We look to you as a wonder-working God. And we ask, Lord, that you would hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.